Swallowed gum takes years to digest. Christians will live in the clouds for all of eternity. Now, what do these two statements have in common? They're not true. They're hugely popular wives' tales, rumors that have been passed down for generations, so so many accept them as true without having explored whether they actually are. God does have an eternal paradise for His children, and it's glorious. But be prepared, the Bible's teaching might be very different from what you've been taught growing up. The most thorough version of of this place is apocalyptic poetry in the book of Revelation. So I invite you to turn there now. To the very end of your Bibles, Revelation chapter 21 through chapter 22, verse 5. This reading is a little long, but I promise it'll be well worth our time. So for those who are able, would you please now stand with me for a hearing of God's authoritative word. Starting at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the twelve gates, twelve angels 
and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. It will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. Now, with limited time, we'll explore just three angles of God's kingdom today. First, a new creation, a new creation. This might be shocking for some of you, but according to the Bible here, the place that Christians will live forever is actually not up in heaven. Heaven, as God's dwelling place, is where Christian souls go today after their bodies die. That's true. But heaven is just a layover for the end destination. 
Christians are finally going to be right here on planet Earth. A physical universe with, with physical resurrected human bodies, just like Jesus' resurrected human body. No wings on a physical planet forever. So let's take one more look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Then they saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, while Revelation is, is obviously at the end of the Bible, if you remember at the beginning of your Bible, God uses the exact same language. In Genesis 1.1, he says, in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth, the same pairing. And the word heavens in both these passages isn't describing God's home. No, it, it just means the sky. That's why in Genesis 1.20, God says that birds fly in the heavens. It means they fly in the air. So the heavens and the earth was a common Hebrew pairing to summarize just the entire physical universe. In ancient thought, before they had knowledge of, of other planets and galaxies, the sky and the earth was just everything that existed. The sky and the earth goes from the ground underneath your feet all the way up to the stars in the sky. It's, it's everything in the universe that you can see with the naked eye. So now, in Revelation, God is recreating a new sky and a new earth. And this, this is where Christians will live forever. On a new earth, under a new sky. God will, will make our current world new and fresh and unfading forever. God will remove all its current defects from the curse of sin. No more cancers or coronavirus. No more shark attacks or tsunamis. No more hungers or sunburns. Chapter 21, verse 4, goes even so far as to promise that there will be no more death and no more sadness, only life and happiness forever. So, when you lament in prayer today over your present pains and hardships, remember, call to mind God's promised paradise prepared for His children. As you cry today, hope with faith toward a place where tears don't even exist. Also notice in verse 1 that there's no sea anymore, no more oceans on the new earth. What's that all about? In ancient times, the sea was the most dangerous and deadly place in all creation. Let me show you quickly this pattern from Scripture. In the story of Noah, remember God destroys the entire world, right? He destroys all animals and people except those on the ark. Through what? Water. Through the deadly sea. Remember, the sea is what separated God's people 
between slavery in Egypt and the promised land. The sea was their barrier to freedom. And after God graciously parted the Red Sea, then in His wrath, Yahweh used the sea to kill the wicked Egyptians. So in the book of Exodus, God removes the sea for His children whom He loves, but He gives the sea to His enemies. The sea is deadly. The seas where Jonah almost died before God saved him through a great fish. The seas where the disciples cried out to Jesus, save us, while a great storm threatened to break their boat. The seas where the apostle Paul shipwrecked three times and would have died apart from God's intervention. The sea is deadly. So understand, before the advanced technology we enjoy today to make the waters safe and fun and productive, in ancient times, the sea was just the most hostile place in all creation. When you stepped onto a boat, you didn't know if you'd get back off alive. And when God first made the world, and our world today as we know it, most of you know it's, it's one-third land, but two-thirds water. It's almost as if God was communicating in Genesis, my creation is very good but it's not yet complete. There's still sin and deadly chaos that remains. But in the new earth, the sea is gone. It's a poetic way of saying all danger and death and destruction will be banished from the new creation forever. Only the safety of land will be the internal inheritance for God's protected people. All in all then, this new creation is the most beautiful and, and painless and perfect existence imaginable. And it's not up in the clouds. It'll be right here on planet Earth. The first feature of God's eternal kingdom is a new creation. But of course, Christians will need somewhere to live on this new planet Earth. And that leads us to the second feature a new city, a new city. Consider Revelation 21, verse 2. It says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So you see, God will one day come down to us instead of us going up to Him, and He'll bring with us a city to live in forever. This is why Jesus said in John 14, verse 3, I go and prepare a place for you. As I speak, Jesus is building New Jerusalem, a city currently under construction. God built our current creation in only six days, so just imagine how glorious New Jerusalem will be if Jesus has been working on it for thousands of years since His ascension. Verse 2 says the city is so beautiful that it's, it's like a bride adorned for her husband, beautiful and beaming with joy on her wedding day. Verse 11 describes the city's radiance, its brightness like a most rare jewel. Verse 18 says the city is pure gold, valuable, 
and beautiful. Verses 19 to 20 describe the foundations of the city wall having every kind and color of a rainbow of precious stones. And verse 21 says that the streets are pure gold. All of these poetic descriptions of New Jerusalem are meant to communicate infinite value and beauty of a kingdom that reflects an infinitely valuable and beautiful king, God himself. So if you enjoy the beauty of nature today, just wait until you see God's heavenly city. Notice also that this is a city in particular. A city has businesses and markets and, and jobs and relationships. One day Christians will, will live forever in this holy community. So you see, at the end of time, as Christians, we're not going to be bored. When I was little, one of the main reasons I didn't want to die was because, if I'm honest, heaven sounded really boring. I thought heaven meant just singing songs in the clouds for all of eternity. And I liked praising God as a kid, but I thought, you know, after the 13th or 14th song, I, I might be ready for some variety. I'm sure there will be some singing in God's kingdom, and it will be glorious. But in any city, there's variety. There sure was in old Jerusalem, so we have every reason to believe that there will be in new Jerusalem too, rhythms of life and worship. Christians will be joyfully worshiping God through working on projects God has assigned and playing through recreation and, and growing and cherishing human relationships, enjoying God's good creation with gratitude. It'll be a holy city full of joy, and even work itself will feel restful. Let's consider also the dimensions of God's holy city. Revelation chapter 21, verse 16 says that the city lies four square, 12,000 stadia, its length, width, and height are equal. Now, distance-wise, 12,000 stadia, that's about 15,000 miles. And I did the math, that's about the distance from here to Miami. A grand expanse for just one city. That's about half the size of the USA. But what you need to understand about these dimensions is this doesn't mean that the New Jerusalem will be smaller than our current country. When Revelation was originally written, the known world in the Near East was about 15,000 miles. This was all that had been discovered up to this point. So John isn't saying here that New Jerusalem will have a limit. Instead, it seems he's saying that the city will poetically span the entire new earth. Everywhere you go on planet earth will be new Jerusalem. So when you hear the word city, don't think of urban versus rural. We're not signing up for crowded with traffic like Chicago. Instead, it's about being a, a unified community, one government under one king, Christ the righteous. And perhaps even more interesting than the city's length and width, its, its squareness is its height, 15,000 miles into the sky. 
To give you some perspective, Mount Everest isn't even six miles high. But this new Jerusalem, 15,000 into the air, I don't think this means we have a cloud city situation like Star Wars. I think the point is that it's a perfect cube. And the only other cube in the Bible, in the old Jerusalem, was the Holy of Holies. Its dimensions were a perfect cube. And in this particular place, God's glory dwelled intensely and visibly. God's glowing presence shined above the mercy seat. So the entire city, being a perfect cube, communicates. Now all of creation will be the holy of holies. The whole city, God's presence will be everywhere. Think about your current experience. Today, even if you're a Christian and you, you have the Holy Spirit inside you, there are days where, where God feels far. There are days where you pray and it feels like your prayers won't even make it past the ceiling. Not so in New Jerusalem. There's nowhere in this city you can go that God's blessed presence will not be seen and felt and experienced. The full force of His presence will span from the highest mountaintops to the deepest valley lows, from the vineyards to the deserts to the lands of snow. God's holy presence everywhere. The final location of Christians is a new creation, and it's a new city. And finally, it's also a place of fruitfulness and life. It's a new garden. A new garden. Take a look at Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. They say this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, all the way back in Genesis, there were two trees, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve sinfully ate from, but a second tree was the tree of life. And after Adam and Eve sinned, God says in Genesis chapter 3 that the reason he kicked them out of the garden was to keep them from eating from the tree of life, which would cause them to live forever. So access to the tree of life was removed until, until Revelation chapter 22. God will bring back the tree of life for you to eat from if you're a Christian to give you the power to live forever. It's the fountain of youth. This time, God's children now sinless because of, of their, their faith in Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection. They'll eat from the tree of life, and they will be granted life eternal. If you're a Christian, this is your future. A new creation, a new city, a new garden. Now, if that's not you, I have to warn you, if you don't trust in Jesus with your life. You tragically have no inheritance here. 
Revelation 21 verse 8 warns that those whose lives are marked not by God, but by idolatry and sexual immorality and and lying, etc., refusing to repent and live for Jesus, their inheritance will tragically be the lake of fire, hell, forever. So don't let yourself leave this morning on the fence. We don't know the day or hour that Jesus will return, so accept God's saving hand today before it's too late. I'd like to conclude with the most important feature of God's paradise of all. Take a look at this painting with me. It's become really popular on Instagram and Facebook. It's all over Etsy. You can hang it in your home. It's called First Moments in Heaven, being reunited with family and loved ones who've died. It's a beautiful picture, right? But what's the problem with this image? What's missing? God. God isn't even here. He's not even an afterthought. All the gifts of God without the gift giver himself. If someone asks you what you most desire in the afterlife, and the first thought that pops into your mind is not God, then you've missed it then you don't know what eternal life is all about. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus gives us a definition of eternal life. He says it's knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ whom he sent. Eternal life is knowing God. That's what makes it paradise. Of course, there's nothing wrong with missing loved ones you've lost, but this isn't the point doesn't mean seeing your earthly family can't happen, but it does mean being reunited with them is is not the main point of eternal life. It's, It's being reunited with God, embracing Him as your heavenly husband. Joy will be full in God's kingdom, but as Psalm 1611 says, the source of this joy is being in God's presence, not in your family's presence forevermore. So don't anchor your future joy in eternal gifts if they're not God himself. Instead, long for God the creator of the new heavens and the new earth, God the architect and king of a new city, and God the gardener of a new Eden. Let's consider these verses that make God the center of his kingdom to wrap up here. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Revelation 21.7 says, The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Revelation 21, 22 to 23 says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And finally, Revelation 22, uh, 22, 4 begins, 
they will see His face. This is the Christian's eternal hope. Seeing God face to face. Remember all the way back to the first sermon in this series. Moses was told in Exodus 33, you cannot see God and live. He's just too holy and your soul is too sinful. So if you saw him, you would die on the spot. But at the end of time, if you're a Christian, cleansed of your unrighteousness by the blood of Jesus through your faith in him, you will see God face to face, and you'll enjoy his presence forever, moment by moment. So train your spiritual taste buds today to prepare your soul to feast on God the righteous forever. In Psalm 73, the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing that I desire on earth but you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In that psalm, he uses the same pairing. In heaven and on earth, there's nothing in all creation I desire more than God. Make that your desire today so you'll be prepared to enjoy God forever when he returns.